Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to role-playing game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers and of Double Exposure with their amazing game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 130, It Won't Fit. Recorded at Metatopia 2016. Presented by Kenneth Height, Jason Pitt, Marissa Kelly, and Fred Hicks. pre-existing game engine, game system, game mechanic. And I'm sure it was really good, and now we're going to tell you why not to do that. And now we're going to tell you when and why the game you have in your head might not belong with a given system. And it might belong with another system, but I think in this particular case, we're going to try and focus on games that need to be their own animal. Obviously, all games borrow from pre-existing art. And you might say, this is mostly my my own animal, but I stole the push pyramid from Elizabeth Sampat. Um, <laughs> I don't know who could have possibly done that at this table. But by and large, what we're saying now is why not to use Fate or Powered by the Apocalypse or Basic Role-Playing or Savage Worlds or Gumshoe or any of the other game engines and why your game might need to find its own fit rather than trying to make something else fit. And to tell us about this, we will the, pan, the distinguished panel will introduce themselves. Sure discuss a little bit of their game design experience, maybe speak to the general question, right? And then we'll take questions from you guys, the audience of designers, because this is a panel for designers, not for some bunch of randos at Gen Con. So, Marissa, would you like to tell us all about yourself and tell us what, tell the people what they've won? Yes, uh, I'm Marissa Kelly. I um, am a cancer and I enjoy (laughs) long walks on the beach and well, you, design. Albuquerque is not the place for you then. <laughs> yeah, so like a long walk to the beach. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I primarily focus on a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse uh, games in my own design. I've worked on uh, Apillion. Um, I we <coughs> as Magpie Games published uh, Urban Shadows and some Dungeon World supplements and all those goodies. And I'm currently uh, working on Bluebeard's Bride a bit. Um, yes, and I've been able to work in Fate quite a bit, and um, all of the fun things that Pelgrane wins awards for, and um, I can take like an ounce of credit for that, for, for sure. Um, in fact, here's your ounce. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's a lot lighter than I thought it would be. Yeah, but it's a um, liquid ounce. Not a, <laughs> a lot of people make that mistake. Yes. Um, yeah, so I worked on a Hacking as Women event at Gen Con a couple times where we sort of went over this sort of thing, um, but 
in inverse was a little more finding a good fit for your game um, based on the types of stories you're going to want to uh, tell via vis-a-vis -vis your system and how the different uh, types of games that were represented there would help you do that. So that's my spiel in a box. I'm Kenneth Height. I'm a tabletop game designer, role-playing game designer, mostly. Uh, most of my recent work has been with other people's game engines that fit, such as Day After Ragnarok for Savage Worlds, which is not even a game. It's just a big old setting with a bunch of special case rules. Uh, two gumshoe games, Trail of Cthulhu and Knights Black Agents. And, and another gumshoe game that was hacked more substantially yeah, than regular gumshoe, Bubble Gumshoe, published by I forget who. Because it was like years ago that I signed that contract. <laughs> it kind of was. Yes. Um, I'm going to not give uh, the potted, you know, uh, a bit. I think we'll probably come yeah. back around and do that in more. And we'll let Jason and Fred introduce themselves. All right. So uh, I'm Jason Pitt from Justice of Legend Publishing. Uh, I started with two original game designs for very specific reasons. My first one was the Spark role-playing game, which was a canned bog-standard first role-playing game book, which it has its own merits and flaws. And then I made a weird uh, game, Post-Human Pathways, which was a transhumanist uh, role-playing game for exactly three players on five pamphlets. Yes. Uh, and now I'm doing other designs that, that include established fantastic systems like Fate and Apocalypse World in addition to my own uh, continued new, new designs. Uh, I'm Fred Hicks, I'm with uh, Evil Hat Productions. Uh, we publish Fate, which is one of the things that have been mentioned here. Um, and of course, you could design things for Fate, which would sell books for me, thank you. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are a number of perspectives on uh, situations where Fate might not be the best fit, or you might want to look at either a different system or an original system. And I think you can actually talk to that someone because you had the potential to go in a fake direction, you've somehow sometimes gone to your own thing. Right. You've got you've had that some of that decision going. And uh, you know, we can also look at things like why bubble gumshoe went gumshoe as the as the fit as opposed to fate and, and, and that sort of thing. We came up with such a great title. Right, yeah. Well that that got helped. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, we, I, I can get into that over the course of the channel. Right. Okay. Um, there's a couple of reasons to go your own way. There's a crass reason which is that you want to own your own game engine for some reason. Sure. Uh, you want to, you think you're going to do a bunch more things with the same engine, you want to build it, you want to own that. That, For example, both of the game's uh, systems that I've designed, uh, Icon System and Coda System, which were for back-to-back -back Star Trek role-playing game projects, and I recommend that as a great way to learn a lot about game design and a terrible way to be creatively fulfilled. Um, <laughs> Both of those were designed to be proprietary house systems. They were also both designed to feel like Star Trek, which is the other half of the equation. Oftentimes, an existing commercial game system or an existing game system of whatever sort will not actually match the intended feel in play or will not in, uh, match the source material or will not match um, uh, your skill level as a designer. And so you will say, I want to design something that will be a really swift, powered by the apocalypse hack, or I want to design something that will have 
all of the sleek majesty of gumshoe, but I do not understand those systems well enough, so I'd probably better not do that. I right, should sure. probably go uh, look at a simpler implementation or something that is uh, more exactly focused to, a, to an experience that I'm trying to get at the table. The other sort of bigger category of games that you design without reference to an existing system are games that are intended to be sort of uh, not necessarily one uh, shots, but are experiences of uh, one specific intended sort of play. And I'm thinking of something like Joe Prince's Contender, which is supposed to feel like a boxing movie. Now, you can play a boxing movie in Fade or Gumshoe or any number of other things, but it will not feel soup to nuts like a boxing movie. Yeah. If you want a game that, that creates that kind of totalizing experience uh, the mountain witch is another great example there is no game so much about climbing up a mountain to fight a witch and be betrayed yes. as the mountain witch yeah, which is as I've said before the greatest 5 16th century inch in the history of game yes. design <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that would be the reason sort of uh, big picture to do that uh, Marissa do you have uh, thoughts about the why the, the why, why of, the, why? Uh, the why of not fitting why? Why not fit? Why not fit? Um, yes, uh, I think that there's the different systems are designed to create things, the experiences, and when you force something into uh, something that doesn't belong, you're going to get an output that's muddled or not the experience that you wanted because you stuck it in something else. So, for example, you have. Uh, uh, Fate, which has um, a very strong be, protagonist still. Yes, you're going to be a hero. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be good at that. And uh, you're going to sort of narrate a story together around being awesome all the time. So you're Han Solo from minute one, and you're badass, and you shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, and you have to dig out the Han Solo ness if you want to bend the system to go there. It can go there, and thank you. Uh, but uh, it's <laughs> not; it, it, it won't land there by default. Right. And these are kind of the landmines that are hidden in these in these pre-existing systems. Yeah, and and uh, Apocalypse World in in opposition has a lot of uh, like you're more of a Luke Skywalker. You're like, holy shit, I lost my arm. I'm bad at fighting. My dad is evil. I just oh dear. Okay, it's over. And then you start dating the GM, and the third movie starts. And yeah, and <laughs> everything gets a lot better. <laughs> well, until you find out, wait, that, oh, that character, were what relation? Oh, that wasn't the, That wasn't the third movie. That's fair. That was the second movie. That's fair. That's Try to fair. keep it straight, Jason. I know in Canada they don't have Star Wars. Yeah. It's on the internet. You can look it up. Geo-blocking. Geo-blocking. Would you, would you like to talk about something you do know? Instead of Star Wars? <laughs> uh, yes, so uh, amateur game design. Um, so I designed my first game, Spark, uh, with a very intentional uh, motivation behind this. I wanted to learn game design. So I spent through all my resources into creating a complete system by itself for the specific purpose of learning every single piece of the craft, learning how all of the various mm -hmm. Uh, levers and rules are necessary for the complete game experience. It was not for the end product's benefit, but so that I would be able to design future games 
effectively having seen the whole gamut of system design. Yeah. Uh, it taught me an absurd amount. I see the places where I didn't learn fast enough, but I put together some interesting things out of it. So games as a tool of education is a very good reason to design your own system. So long as you're reading other games to give you references to know what direction to head down. Now, now, now Jason, if you had it to do over again, um, and let's presume for the moment that you are not interested in also uh, giving yourself a, a self-taught course in self-publishing, would you have gotten as much out of Spark if you just designed it and not published it? Is it a, I mean, is this That's a thing where you're selling a masterwork chair that says, I am now a carpenter? Or is it a thing where you're selling the Google map of your driver's test? <laughs> the publishing is necessary to get the feedback to point out where you failed. Yeah. Okay. In my opinion. All right. But, but okay. you can define publishing in a lot of ways. No, no, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would have done a much cheaper form of publishing. Yes. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I would have needed to do the publishing end to get feedback on, oh, for this bit, your setting isn't baked into the mechanics enough. It's disconnected so uh, enough that you can't pitch it effectively, and therefore you have a hard time selling it. Oh, oh, that's an issue. Yeah. Well, you discover that. Um, my second game was uh, designed with a unique system for a couple reasons. One of which was I was using weird components. This is the dread answer uh this is like it's the, not the answer <laughs> that is dreaded it's the answer used uh, it, by the, the game dread. yeah uh, yes. <laughs> this is microscope you're saying dread is the answer this is it is always the answer um if you're trying to use weird components for your game for specific reasons for user interface reasons for thematic reasons if you're trying to design a game with a ouija board you need to have your own system Please don't try to hack your Ouija board game into fate. No, <laughs> it's not the right like. It will you make need the a custom angry. system. It's saying I have a plus two. <laughs> <laughs> Fred, what's your thoughts on? Uh, I mean, because obviously you designed Don't Rest Your Head, which yep. was your own proprietary system and is built around a mechanic that makes the angels weep with its beauty and appropriateness. Um, if you don't have an idea that is as good as the don't rest your head death spiral, and let's call that alpha plus good. Sure. If you only got a beta plus good idea, is it worth making your own game system out of that? Well, for me at this point, I've got fate so internalized that I, you know, I see the matrix, right? Yes, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I, I'm jumping past the parts that I, I've already learned very well don't work with a certain thing, mm -hmm. and I'm figuring out how to right. accommodate for them. But let's assume you had something you knew wasn't going to work in Fate, yeah. right? Like a noir game well, or something like know, that. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's, there can be some temptation to still look around for another system to, to fit with it because at the very least you're adopting the playtesting history of that right. system. Yes. That's and right. you're adopting yeah. the audience of that system. Yeah, the audience, you're doing all kinds of things we talked about at, a, at the uh, last panel. Yeah, but the, 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 <laughs> right. And that, and that, but that's last panel content. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it really does come down to the... The, the very indie ethos of uh, unity of mechanic and 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 theme, and uh, if you can get those two halves working together so beautifully without some other system getting in the way, 
don't freaking pollute the water, right? You're, you're, getting, you're getting this really rarefied beverage here. And, uh, 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 you know, fate's going to bring in, or whatever, is just going to bring all of its own ideas that you didn't even notice were there. And they're going to start expressing themselves through it. And you're going to wonder, why is my, why, why is my beverage tasting off? Did I, did I not triple filter it or whatever, you know, et cetera? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I and, and with, with Don't Rest Your Head, I mean, Don't Rest Your Head was something I did as a project to take a break from working on Spirit of the Century. Um, so obviously I felt like, well, that's too much fate for me. And I went over and, you know, I, and I, you know, it started kind of out of the idea of this dice game with lots of interesting feedback loops and so forth. And fate doesn't do feedback loops to a certain extent. So I could even look at it at, in a raw mechanical sense, like uh, uh, I would have to graft on a bunch of subsystems to do this, and why not just take the subsystem and start there? Uh, uh, and uh, it, 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 it frees you up from a lot of fetters, I think. And uh, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know that I can give a good rubric for, and here's when you, when you know that you must make that call. Uh, particularly if you've got some sort of uh, uh, system that's really well internalized for you, like I do with Fate. Um, uh, but, uh, cer certainly I've done it. I'm, I'm not doing a lot of game design as much these days. Uh, uh, and, and like, like Don't Rest Your Head, oh, I might come back to that. Um, Marissa, do you want to talk about the Bluebird's Bride design yes. experience? Because again, that's its own thing, its own magical, wonderful, beautiful thing that horrific can't have been built with, you know, very easily at all with another existing system. Well, we did um, take a lot of Apocalypse World uh, inspirations, but as we did the Apocalypse World panel earlier, um, the way we're thinking about Apocalypse World is not quite a system, but rather just a way, an approach to game uh, design. So it's, it's a little hard to separate from that. We have moves and, and things like that, but I do think when we're, the Hacking as Women event is where the Bluebeard got started, and um, as the coach, I was mostly there to try and like, uh, listen to Sarah and Strix and figure out how to best highlight what they found exciting about this fairy tale and to uh, make it fit with the mechanics. And as we got on this road and roller coaster of actual game design and trying to publish, uh, we found very quickly that um, there were aspects of Apocalypse World that were super not <laughs> helpful uh, to, to the design process or to the game and the final uh, outcome that we wanted. So things like um, the fact that uh, you have one uh, antagonist and you're all being different aspects of that single uh, person's psyche means that the way you interact with the world has to change um, and the way you interact with each other has to change. So um, playbooks are going to be different. Um, we're making it a one-shot game so that it's sort of like a ghost story. How do we make ghost stories really come through? So we're like, you know what? Some of these don't need dice. Fuck dice. Fuck this. Fuck this. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and uh, I think that that a lot of making the process of, of having a goal is super important for your game before you start diving into any of the nitty gritty mechanics. Um, at least to have a finished product. <laughs> if you are just trying to learn shit, then yeah, go tinker, you like numbers, go run numbers, because that's fun for you. But for me, I was trying to create an actual product, and we had to keep trying to be true to that product, 
and that meant sometimes innovating in very new directions and ways. Um, uh, how do we uh, keep in mind the audience and replicate what we're doing over and over again? Um, so I think I kept in mind the, the end product throughout the whole design process and sort of kept knocking over things that were getting in the way of that. Okay, uh, I think that we're gonna see if anyone's got any questions and answer them based on our uh, vast and sumptuous wisdom. So <laughs> if not, we will We will talk to other people. So. Um, at what point do you think that you're done, you've tinkered a game so much, tinkered with a game so much that it no longer resembles what its original core is and therefore shouldn't even be considered Well, once you're asking yourself, does this resemble the original core, the answer is almost always self-evidently no, because you had to ask. If you're, st if you're still getting the play experience you were designing toward, if you're still getting the play experience you were getting in your early acts, then it still is that thing. And if you're saying, this, is this that thing? It's like if you're asking, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, will my wife be mad if I do this? You know the answer is yes, because you just asked. <laughs> um, so don't ask. <laughs> or ideally, don't do that. Um, I think, yeah. yeah, so um, I would say that you know, in a, in, a, in a sense of, now that may not be a bad thing because you may be saying, oh, my original idea was puerile or could only support one session and I'd like to have a game that is multi-session or has iterative mechanics to it. Or you may say, um, uh, my original feel was great for me and my three buddies who think about games exactly the way I do because we've been playing together for 10 years, but I don't know if it's going to work for people who don't know me and don't know my shorthand or who aren't... Um, uh, uh, from my exact socioeconomic background or, or whatever else. You may be saying, I want to have a game that isn't what I was doing at the card table with my buddies, uh, and I want to have a game that isn't that same experience over and over again. Um, or you may have been playtesting it so long, you're like, wow, you played this game for you know 10 or 15 times in a row, it's not very good as it is, and I want to break that. So saying that it's not the way you initially imagined it is not a failure, but if you're asking yourself, has this stopped being what I thought it was? The answer is probably yes, because that's why you asked in the first place. I think uh, you're, you're asking a question that kind of like hits me right between the eyes because fate started out as a fudge hack. Um, and it is really seen as a, its own thing these days. And that happened over time um, uh, as we you know, iterated on the system and so forth. I think it's set in particularly hardcore around spirit of the century. Um, and uh, uh, for me, I. I, I think sort of the, the most mundane way to detect have, have, I, have I cleaved off and become my own continent um, uh, is uh, is there still reasonable interoperability with other things built off of this system that I am using? Uh, and uh, there was a certain amount of interoperability up through like Fate 1, Fate 2, but by the time we got to Spirit of the Century, we were really starting to push away from it. Uh, and the play priorities were clearly different. Um, there were a lot of cosmetic similarities, but if you actually sat down with a fudge adventure and said, I'm going to run it with fate, you'd have to do a decent amount of work. And, and that's kind of an exercise you can do to, to like say, okay, well, could I take a Bluebeard's Bride move and drop it into my Apocalypse World game and, and, and have it, you know, maybe do a little bit of adjustment, but I can, I can tool it in, or is it actually like way off the map from, uh, from that? And if you're way off the map, you're probably kind of into your own thing. And you can still say, oh yeah, it's in our DNA. We're, we're, we're a, we're, we are a fate alike. We are a apocalypse world alike. But that is not quite the same as saying we are an apocalypse world game or a fate game. I, I do think 
for me, the I would ask you some more questions, like why are you asking that? Matters a lot to yeah, me. Yeah, why does it matter? Right. <laughs> like, um, so are you asking, um, am I am I coming into an apocalypse world forum and being like, my game is apocalypse world, but is it really? Or are you asking to? Because I feel like our hobby a lot. I mean, my company is called Magpie Games for a reason. Uh, I think our 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 community here has a lot of uh, shared ideas, and we all are inspired by each other a whole lot. And that it's kind of hard to forget your the games you grew up playing and and all of that. So I think it's. I feel like the answer to your question is very political rather than technical. That's actually what's going to be my follow-up. Uh, okay. Sorry, that's a good point. What are the benefits of being continuing to call yourself like fake powered or powered by the apocalypse? Fake meaning yeah, I think this was your first panel, well, right? Yeah, that was the first panel. Um, the benefits are you get the audience. The downside is if you're actually not feeling like fate, you call yourself fate-powered, you get a loud audience mad at you. <laughs> or, or what you've gotten is the network effect of people saying, don't buy that game. Right. Its aspects suck. Its fronts are wrong right. or whatever, right? And They so, don't understand. Blah. And what you're saying is, but I wasn't doing Apocalypse World. I just wanted to say Apocalypse World a lot in the cell text. Right. And they're like, well, then you're just annoying us. <laughs> so the advantage to it is if your game did fit, if it was a other panel game, then yes, that would, um, uh, that would be a good thing. But if you're designing your own thing and you're saying, well, it's very similar to Apocalypse World or it's very similar to Fate, but it's different, you don't want to say that on the cover because you'll just annoy and anger people who see the word fate on the cover, see the word apocalypse world on the cover, and say, well, I know how to play this, let's go. And they run right into the buzzsaw of the differences. And guess who they, guess who they don't blame? Themselves for reading comprehension failure? No. no, no. You for designing a game they didn't want to yeah. play. But we, we see this a little bit with uh, Strands of Fate out there, which is something that kind of cleaved off of, off of fate. And there was a lot of confusion for a while of, of people uh, uh, saying, well, it looks like fate, but it's... You know, it, it doesn't seem seem compatible. And I had a conversation with the designer of it, and we we're like, "Yeah, we both kind of have this perspective on it that it's it's fate alike. It's you know, it's a descendant of fate, but it is not interoperable with fate." So there's a way. I'll, I'll give it to you in just one second. No worries. Um, there's a, there's a way this kind of pivots into. You yeah, <laughs> may just not. see if we can break your wrist. Uh, <laughs> uh, pivots into uh, uh, what is the advantage of saying that you are not like the thing that you 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 come from? And in the Strands of Fate case, it is. Oh, are you finding that fate isn't crunchy enough for you? Have you tried Strands of Fate? It will have a lot of the things that you're probably finding appealing about fate, but will actually go to the depth of detail and... and but with 65% more strands. Yeah, exactly. And that is also political or marketing or, you know, the sad truth is those are the same thing. Um, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in its own way too, and it's really about like how are you going to interact with that prior audience in a way that gives them clarity about what they're getting, um, and also about what you're offering that's different. Jason, thirty-second uh, rebuttal. I think <laughs> that it can be useful in issues such as this to ignore Fred and to. Uh, highlight specific games that are in that nebulous gray space as case studies. Mm. Um, specifically, I'd like to highlight uh, Headspace by Green Hat Designs as a game that is powered by the apocalypse, 
but drifts heavily. But if you say anything that is... So, sorry, how can I put this? Vincent Baker gave you eight minutes to come up with murderous ghosts. <laughs> and that's powered by the apocalypse world. Powered by the Apocalypse. So I'd be shocked not to also call Headspace Powered by the Apocalypse by that metric. Right. Um, another uh, interesting gray space uh, game would be Dream Askew, which, as I read it, is Apocalypse World meets Fate all meshed beautifully together. How did that work? Oh, Avery's magic. Got it. Yeah. Um, like, looking at those edge cases, I find, is particularly interesting uh, because it gives a lot of insights on where the identification works well, where it works poorly. There was nothing on the cover of Dream Askew that said it is this game plus this game. Yeah. But as a designer, it screamed at me. Right. But then they changed his meds and that worked out. Um, do we have another question? Yeah. Um, kind of following along with this, um, let's say hypothetically that you're designing a game that um, blatantly is inspired by, like, okay, I'm going to take this pieces from Powered by the Apocalypse, and I'm going to take this piece of fate, right and uh, Source Note Mastery <laughs> is uh, judging in the corner. And, like, how do you, like, the, the end result is not like any of those. Like, you still want to honor that you were inspired by these designers and give it's called a designer's notes page. Ludography. Yep. Yes. Or inspired by. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's we, we we touched on that a little bit in the other panel, but it's a it's, it applies to this too because every game is going to come out of someone. I mean, oh god. Dave Arneson is the only game designer who ever did something without prior art, and even he was basing stuff off uh, Weasley's um, uh, 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 Brownstone, right? right? So. I definitely don't think it's a mandatory thing in our community because a lot of people don't know that they're doing it. They're reinventing the wheel a right. lot. And so I feel like no one, I don't think many people are holding people to a standard for things they don't know. <laughs> so if you're like, oh, this is a whole lot like Traveler. <laughs> like, what's Traveler? <laughs> well, now your your game is, is counterfeit because you didn't <laughs> write whatever, all the, all the credits that have ever been. So... I mean, but if you do know that that's what you did in the design process, absolutely provide design notes. Yep. Fellow game designers will appreciate it, and the audience that appreciates that will appreciate it, and it doesn't take up that much space. Yeah, because then people like your game can go and yeah. find others. Shane? Is there a established or uh, go-to guide, if you will, bringing up Traveler, I think, is, is a great example of new designers coming into the trade and going, well, I'm trying to do this thing. You go, yeah, that thing was done 20 years ago and evolved, and your take on it might be fresh and new and awesome, but you owe it to yourself and time to, yes. to spend that. Uh, other than the self-serving yes. yes. No, no, wait, come, no. Come, come to Metatopia. Right? No. Right? Like, put it that that guide is to uh, talk to Rob Donahue if you want yes. a polite <laughs> answer or me if you want an impolite answer. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, no, there is no there is no substitute for doing the damn reading in this as with every other part of life. Um, uh, if you want to be a game designer, 
it is considerably easier than becoming an engineer, so <laughs> suck it up and read some damn prior art. Uh, yeah, the, the, the question is, is there, is there, a, is there a way to detect prior art? Go to discover the prior art that you should be doing. And, I mean, the, the, the place oh, to discover yes, prior art. Yes. 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 Yeah. Retailers are another great place to go. Um, yes. I think a lot of it, honestly, is word of mouth. Simply saying, I'm trying to design a cyberpunk powered by the apocalypse world, powered by the apocalypse <coughs> on Twitter. Okay. And people will say, oh yeah, this one, this one, this one. You might want to look at these. Yeah. It, that's, that's really easy yeah. and approachable, and we're all happy to say, yeah, we'll go look at our friends' games. <laughs> yes, that. that's right. Like, Randos on Twitter recommending their friends. It's just like learning. Yeah. <laughs> you really <laughs> can. Please give us an opportunity to sneakily sell you our friends' games. Cam? So Cam's story about uh, working on the two Star Trek games is interesting because that brings up another kind of hurdle for those people who want to use a thing, uh, especially if they, for example, up until recently didn't actually own it as a thing. Even though they designed I don't know what you're talking game. about. <laughs> so that's one where, case where you can't get it because it isn't open or right. credit commons and you want to do something like that. Uh, I had someone come to me once and say, well, why can't we just copy it because you can't copyright rules, etc." Which leads to things like uh, people who say they just change all the text around, you know, algorithms and algorithms and whatever. So any, any thoughts on uh, systems that don't exist as soon as you are actually allowed to or anyone has given you conscious uh, reasons to use Well, I mean, again, um, that's the other panel. Uh, obviously, the law is you can't copy people's text, don't do it. Uh, the law does not say you can't copy people's mechanics, so right. go right ahead and do it. Um, if you, uh, there are patented, which no one in game design does. Yes, if you are, um, uh, there, there are better and worse emulators for a number of other games. Um, uh, there are reasons to look at them, but by and large, if you are trying to make a game in this our year of the Lord 2016 going back to a game that was done in 1998 or 2008 is going to not necessarily answer the questions you want answered. And if your reason to get into game design is you really love Jeff Grubb's phase rip Marvel system, which I'm assuming is what you're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> then what you might want to do rather than say, uh, wouldn't it be great if we could all be uh, 12 in you guys' cases, 25 in my case, and go back and play Phase Rip again, is to say, what aspects of Jeff Grubb's magnificent Phase Rip system do I want to use for a game that I want to play now that does not require me to also steal the X-Men? What, <laughs> what game do I want to play with Phase Rip that Phase Rip is great for, that that same freshness, that same utility of one table, that same openness to player invention while still creating a living, ongoing world with the karma system, all the great things about, about uh, Marvel superheroes. Um, what do I want to do with that in this world? Do I want to tell a story of um, you know, post-singularity AI super droids stalking the solar system? Do I want to tell a story about uh, immense fantasy warriors who nonetheless have to uh, be worshipped by a little town in order to keep their, their mana going, like Ultra Rune Quest? What do I want to do with that that is now as opposed to my, you know, uh, frickin', you know, muscle memory of uh, playing Jeff Grubb's immortal Marvel superheroes game back when I was 12. I mean, and that's, I think, the question for any game designer is why am I going 
to another guy's game and, uh, and and presenting it. And certainly if you're talking about a system that's not open, that you really do have to do all the work of retyping and recasting uh, and almost always making less clear, uh, isn't, it, isn't that a sign you should be informed by that game design? Maybe use core elements of that game design, but really rethink it not soup to nuts, but maybe um, uh, fish course to nuts, and, um, uh, and and look at what you want to do today in 2016 and tomorrow in 2017 at the table with this palette of um, uh, of game design ingredients, and and that can be a way to have your own system because you are really you know mashing up or remixing uh, that um, what would it be now 30 year old game system yeah. 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 So that's, you know, and, I'm, and I do not believe, by the way, that, uh, uh, that, that there is a teleology in art. I don't say that uh, game design evolves in any meaningful sense. Sharks stopped evolving 90 million years ago, and they're still fucking perfect. perfect. Call of Cthulhu is similar. Um, <laughs> but new game technologies are, but new technologies are invented, and it behooves you as a game designer to look at a new technology uh, whether that be moves from Powered by the Apocalypse or whether that be uh, collaborative um, uh, uh, setting generation or whether that be on, uh, uh, in the moment uh, 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 motive creation like in Epi's Dread. You know, there's all manner of things that have been done now that are just more golf clubs in your golf bag yeah. even though no one will ever out-golf out you know, Jack Nicklaus. Right? You know, I, I, I feel that one of the most useful lenses for looking at a game design is simply asking the question, what problem does this solve? And uh, if you're looking at a prior, prior thing, you can kind of say, well, what problem was it solving? And as you were somewhat alluding to, it's solving that problem for that era in which that, that exists. And if it's fairly recent, well, you know, you're going to have to really think about it. But if you're going back to something like, like Phaser, it was doing some really interesting things that no other game around it was doing at the time. Um, and but you know ultimately it was solving the problem of how do I do a Marvel superheroes game that feels like yeah. it's covering the entire gamut of, right. of, the, of the comics experience, um, uh, and I, I think that if you can figure out like what problem was being solved then, and realize that that's kind of the core nugget of what that game was doing for you then, figure out how to solve that problem now with or, all the wealth of others. Or figure out what you can use that solution for now instead of how do I play Marvel with it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's I, I just think that's an interesting kind of question to throw at the process of looking at prior art, and often changing the question will then change the answer as well. Yes, exactly. Um, and actually, I'd like to highlight the black hack as a fa fascinating example of how this can be done very well and elegantly. Um, to find the black hack. Uh, black hack. Uh, a short, I think it's twelve page, sure. uh, sixteen page. Um, Adaptation of D and D uh, that is based off Redbox and bakes an advantage from Five E and is a super elegant, sharp thing that is a very strong hacking foundation. I think it came from Whitehack. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Whitehack from Redbox to Black. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's super lean. Yeah, the OSR is actually full of a lot of exactly what we're talking about, taking old technology and trying to put recombinant spins on it for um, uh, play at the table. And it's worth looking in that field, that OSR and DIY fields, 
just as an example of taking a system we all know and doing things with it. And it's not even limited to D&D because I, right, think, yeah. I think PhaserDip got like, what is it, the four color system or something yeah, like that? Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it yeah, and uh, there are people have uh, cloned the uh, James Bond system from Victory right. Games as yep. part of the OSR. So there's lots of, um, of that era of stuff going on uh, before BRP became an open system. People cloned the BRP system. Um, so there's lots of uh, there's, there's lots of stuff happening in that space, but the OSR is I think super fruitful because there's so many designers in it, oh, doing so many different kinds of things with it, and doing it with a game engine that if you did not know better, you would say was laughably primitive. Right, <laughs> but it's solved but since it. those words mean nothing, yeah. you shouldn't say that. Yeah. Uh, do we have another question? The odds, uh, if you're not Cam or Mark, I'm probably not going to make fun of you. So, <laughs> all right, Jim, you're right. I'll make fun of you. But uh, Marissa, do you have uh, any thoughts about? Let's say let's look forward to Marissa 2017 or Marissa 2018, and you want to build something from the ground up. Uh, is there? Is there a sort of aesthetic that you would be looking for that you would say no game on the market is currently, no game engine on the market is currently feeding and you think that there could be an aesthetic that needs to be fed? Um, let's let yeah. maybe come at it the other direction. I will be running for re-election, so yeah. that's, that's good. Um, <laughs> no, but um, what we brought uh, to Metatopia is sort of in that vein. So I'm doing, um, exploring a sort of post-apocalyptic uh, Muppet punk sort of like Dark Crystal um, it's almost as the genre. Way I set up this question perfectly. Oh, well. Well, well. Mastermind. <laughs> so um, so we're, we're calling it Mirrorlands, and um, I really wanted this sort of elegant Muppet world that isn't goofy, but instead sort of <coughs> trans-labyrinth-esque. Um, and uh, Brendan Conway is the system lead for that, and and are trying to figure out how to really, really make a game that does explorat like exploratory uh, play possible because um, we want you to be able to explore this crazy world and um, that's really hard to do when your system hits things in the face really well or um, tries to uh, uh, make you socialize with people super well or does anything that our hobby reinforces again and again and I know there are, <laughs> and I know there are quite a few uh, games that try to do exploratory play, but I, I haven't felt any that would really sing for this sort of setting. So yeah, we're we're exploring that <laughs> space a bit more. That is literally the perfect answer. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how to phrase this question, but um, I feel like um, <laughs> the general question, I guess, is. Can you think of an example of how you would adapt some really well-known area of genre fiction that would actually really require its own original system? And to be a little more specific about what I mean there, we're talking about these games that require these systems that are special just for them. Like, like, like I want to talk about ghost stories. I want to talk about Muppet Punk. <laughs> you know, these are these are extremely. I want to talk about climbing a mountain to talk to a witch or fight a witch or whatever. Kill a witch super, and get betrayed. So thank you. Sorry, <laughs> super specific, and I think that I'd never betray you. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, and when I think to myself about the kind of stories that my friends really enjoy 
in other media. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking about, you know, like, oh, I, I can think about this video game and this comic book and this movie, I would definitely do with fate. And this TV show and this thing, I would totally do this with Apocalypse World and so on and so forth. And I guess what I'm wondering is, well, aside from those really specific things, are there these, these big, like, kind of, mainstream, even, even in some cases, tropey and cliche things that you feel like they still need their own things. And I guess this kind of comes back to the question of, do you make two very specific systems just for Star Trek, which definitely fits in like the, this is mainstream. Yeah. Um, is that because it's it's like, like, we really needed to do this for Star Trek, or is it, well, we just wanted to get our own thing for Star Trek? Well, in, in both of those cases, we did want to own our own house system. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, 1998, there was no fate uh, Star Fate would be really good for Star Trek. Yeah, it would be a great perfect. Star Trek core. And if I were doing Star Trek tomorrow because a man had put a gun to my head or unloaded a dump truck full of money on my lawn, <laughs> then I would say, let's just do Fate. And if we can't do that because they want to own their own system again, I'd say, let's just clone Fate and lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, you know, something like Star Trek is, is actually going to fit really well with Fate. It, I just did two of them before there was fate. Um, and the second time, a lot of it was very much, let's see how much of D20 we can clone and lie. Um, so the, uh, well, it, you know, good for you. Um, well done, Sherlock. So in, in terms of big, giant genres that don't have satisfactory games, obviously Love Stories is the classic example. There's yeah. very, very few the successful. Novel, there's very, very few successful love story games, except for ones Emily Care Boss has done, and she's getting tired of doing all the work for you. <laughs> That's unkind. And also, her games work for a sort of a narrow, uh, not a narrow, but a but a, a, a narrow in time margin of the of the part of the love story. But a game that covers the whole sweep of romance, a game that could play Jane Eyre or, God forbid, Wuthering Heights from Soup to Nuts. No one can do that. You can't do it. And if you do do it, it's going to be a free form because Challenge everyone at the table accepted. has read Wuthering Heights. You, you, all you have to do is develop a game that naturally ramps up genre, like the whole tension through the entire play. You just have to constantly be moving that's all you have to do. I'm glad you're at Metatopia, good yes. sir. That's all you have to do, he said. I, I do want to, uh, I think that there's, if you're trying to, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but if you're trying to think about your product at the end, um, your audience is going to play into that answer a whole lot. So if you're, I worked on 7C a bit, and if, uh, mostly doing art direction, but if you, uh, if John was like, okay, I want to turn this into all my other crazy shit, like, that would make a lot of 7C fans very disappointed, because they're expecting a uh, experience out of that type of game and and the format of your game is very important for that too so if i buy an eight and a half by 11 book i do not expect a trad game to come out of it and if i buy a big giant game i do not expect a freeform larp to come out of it so i think managing your expectations and your audience for the product that you want to end up with is also should play into whether or not you use your own system or manage uh manage what you have. Does anyone else have an unexplored genre that you want to throw in? A couple other random ones. Uh, mystery. Uh, not in the investigative style, but uh, 
closed room mystery and things like that. That's you an like investigative blue? style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's Stop saying we mystery, don't have mystery games when you're sitting is, right next to me, you pathetic little weasel. <laughs> and since no one has works with a mystery <laughs> investigative system. Yeah, also, uh, the, the, you know, like yeah. if you go into a room and then the door closes and you have to figure out what's going on yeah, and yeah. it's horrible and you're yeah. a bride and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great game. Someone should do that. Uh, I bet they'll make a good amount of money. All right, Fred, do you have any suggestions? (laughs) No, I just do it all in fake, man. Yeah, okay. Actually, one of the other areas that more seriously would be uh, applicable is coming-of-age non-conflict-based fiction. Yeah, non-conflict-based fiction. We don't do that. Apillion? Much. (laughs) Sorry. I'm pretty sure I conflicted with stuff when I played Apillion. (laughs) <laughs> you played an early. You were in a high places here yeah, it was. a while ago. Yeah, it was. It was a while. Anyway, um, yeah, the buildings Roman is another actually pretty great genre. Although I'm not sure how much your friends are like, let's go get us some buildings Roman action. <laughs> but it's super common, and you see it a lot. You need but new mostly people tie buildings Romans into also we're going to have lightsaber fights, which is a good idea. Clark, um, Clark do you have a question? Uh, besides Joe Prince's contender. I don't know. Um, I have yet There's to some see. some wrestling stuff out there. Yeah, yeah right. Those sorts of but, but I know what you're talking like about, the sports movie. The um, big game is yeah. Yes. Well, right. you know, but, but, but like a football movie is, is kind of kabuki, right? You, you know the plot. I you know the plot. You know, you know the, the plot. The dogs are going to rise. But again, you but you know you know the plot of. I mean, that's the thing that makes uh, contender work. Is you know the yeah, plot. exactly. So yeah. I mean, you, you can do some do things with that. But I yeah. think I think contender kind of illuminated that path well enough that that's kind of your starting point. Then you you're like from just it. do football do, contender. Do right. I do think or that's, PTA. that's a really good way to to sort of segue into your concept not fitting as well as a possibility, like. If you find that you you just want a sports movie, uh, I would challenge you to ask why you don't just watch a sports movie. Um, like, and the answer could be because it's not just a sports movie and I really want this experience, but if it literally, you are adding nothing to anything, perhaps you should not do now, that. Now, that I think is gonna be a, a, a difference of dram- dramatic ideology. I mean, there are plenty of people who think that Commedia dell'arte is a completely legitimate thing, or, or Kabuki is a completely legitimate thing. And the, the, no, the notion of play to a, pre, uh, a predetermined plot is like core to cheap form and some other stuff. So there are gamers out there who don't see this as a problem at all, yeah, see it as a yeah, problematunity. Um, I, would, I would say riffing on what you asked though, uh, my friend Greg and I are in the throes due to this horrific season that just finished um, of thinking about stuff like The Natural and things like uh, uh, Michael Chabon's Summerland and the notion of, uh, of mythic baseball, you know, as an area that is not well covered. Right. And we are trying, I'm, I'm going to make Greg do it, I'm not going to do it, but I'm, uh, I'm going to say, you go find the, you know, um, uh, the, the fantasy baseball game that already exists that lets you play out the game, but also add mods in case someone's an elf. <laughs> Air Bud 12. Or Air Bud 12. That's really the most underrated of the franchise. I, I think I, There's I, no I, law against relativation. I, I, I also don't think I've necessarily seen a satisfying, like, in terms of gameplay that left me feeling enriched, uh, that went for the man versus environment conflict. 
That's a hard uh, one to it's make. It's very hard to make that actually inter no, also interesting to me in fiction, well, well, but it, obviously it does happen. It, it's hard to make like it um, uh, fun as long as a game takes to play at the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's actually one on Kickstarter right now. Perseverant. Okay. I'm a stretch goal writer. Have you played well, it? Uh, yes. Actually, I played yesterday. It's actually pretty robust on a short-form one-shot sure, sure. Uh, basis. Well, you can't do a campaign of it. You just open up your wrists. Yeah, <laughs> there's a good part of that. Lost in the glacier. Okay, everyone. <laughs> See you next week. What? For the, for the next 50 miles. <laughs> That's right. Shackleton, the mega campaign oh, for God. Perseverance. Yeah. The TV show Lost was one that people often wanted to try and find a game way into it, but they couldn't figure out how to break in the events of the show to begin You just switch GMs every week. Right. <laughs> That's the easiest way. Just and then burn your notes ostentatiously. <laughs> next guy. Uh, next week's session is inside of this closed box. While while the GM decides what happens this week, we'll do a flashback. Uh, do we, let's see what we got time wise. Uh, we got time for one more question. Brian. So at my first night of filming. Couldn't find any. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't there. We were all over the place. It, it, it was answering the question, it, it, and so I kind of gave up. Uh, but I'm asking it again now because it's been a few years. Uh, a system that <coughs> will handle, or an entity that will handle, fairy tale type magic, gin type magic, reality bending, the seemingly unstructured, you know, the stuff that comes out of the magic wand in the hands of players. I've created subsystems of magic that are pretty open. Um, I'm not sure that magic needs to be tied into the entire system that you use to get what you want. Um, I think that you just need to uh, look at what aspects of, like what resolution, what consequences of the magic in existing uh, <coughs> uh, existing works that you like and, and see what about them is working for Are you. you. Like Mortal Coil? Maybe. Mortal Coil has this great, uh, uh, does this great job of uh, like evolving your magic principles and so forth, and that's probably, like, uh, its method is something I would look at if I, think I wanted to. Mortal Coil is simultaneously too freeform and too structured to be yeah. what he's talking yeah, there's, about, there's, though. There, there, it's, got, it's got some of that I'm, going I'm on. I've got plenty of examples in fiction part, and movies are too big. Well, and here's part of, the, part of my problem. The unstructured nature of the end of a structured game. Yeah. Or not have it immediately blow up, right. which yeah. is much bigger the problem. My, my much problem with listening to your question, Jesus. though, is that I'm not really sure what the test is. Like, what, what, how do I make sure I check off, okay, we checked off all the boxes, now we have that system. I'm not sure what, what, what I mean, the well, the test is to run what, it for what, a bunch what, of really what terrible what players. What delivers a high fidelity, like, ex experience that, that fits what you're describing there? And I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, the consequences, I think, are going to matter. The details of what you need are so important. I mean, um. I mean because the, the answer is, you know, run it as a free form with players you can trust not to fuck it up. Right, right. That said, that's a terrible idea. I know. Well, so yeah, that, the I, way you I, know that your that. system works is you run it for shitty players and yeah, it still right. gives you something like the result you thought of without and, the whole world being you know, destroyed instantly. And I think you maybe get there by setting aside game for a while and saying, okay, what sort of rules would I set for an author to be able to write good yeah. magic that didn't make me go, oh my god. Right? And once you've figured out those rules... Good wild magic. Start turning yeah. them into, like, game principles that the players must follow as a methodology for bringing about their 
the magic. And it can still be fairly freeform, but if they've got a guided questionnaire or something like that, that might get you to that result that you're after. But I don't know anything that's, that's doing that kind of deconstruction or reconstruction. Yeah, that's like that. I'm looking for something. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's another uh, one of those spaces that you're talking about that's a really common thing, or a common genre element, if not its own genre, yeah. that uh, currently tabletop technology has not yet worked its little head around. Yeah, like even when I when I do moon magic in Apillion, I am using the Apocalypse World system, and I had to, I said this in the other panel, but I had to choose to stop the snowball, which is an important aspect of the, the system, to make it work because I wanted episodic play and uh, resolutions that aren't otherwise possible in the system I'm already making. So you, you can, I think you can still make things fit because it's magic. <laughs> uh, and I think we are pretty much out of time. So All right. thank you very thank much. You. Thanks everybody. Drinks are on Ken. Drinks are not on Ken.